0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to church. Great to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Scott. I'm filling in for Pastor Chris, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at that in just a couple of moments, and we'll put some of it up on the board. But the, um, I, I just want to kind of address the, one of the issues that every church and every Christian is dealing with right now, and that's the COVID pan- pandemic has created a lot of isolation, Not just in churches, but in individuals. In fact, depression and anxiety struggles are really up. Um, More doctors and psychiatrists are seeing and counselors are seeing an influx of that. And beyond the mystery of, of the whole COVID thing, there is one fact. Whatever you think about COVID, there's one reality. It has impacted our world. We just have to, it has, you know, is clearly in some horrible ways, and it's been, it's forced upon us some major changes in how we live our lives, I mean, radical changes. Uh, I happened to go over to the mall recently, and I walked through, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was like, you know, are they they filming a zombie movie here or something? It was just like empty, completely different. And I I walked through, I saw stores closed, and we began to wonder, when is, when is it going to change, or the stores going to come back? Are we going to be able to connect again? And it's one question that we've been asking for almost a year now. When are we going to be able to hug people again? When are we going to be able to connect and have parties? When when is that going to come back? And the reason that we, we have that, even though we're cautious, we want to be careful, we wear masks, we space, and we take all the precautions we can, we know in our heart that God created us for fellowship. He created us for relationship with one another, with other people, to connect with him and to connect with others. We're literally wired by God, designed for relationships. When you go back to the book of Genesis, when God created Adam, he made this statement right after making Adam. He said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. And that goes beyond just the marriage application. God has wired all of us to be fulfilled and to be healthy through relationships that we're able to have with one another, just connecting with other people. In fact, the Bible describes the church, the Greek word that is used there is the ekklesia, which means the gathering. That describes the church as the body of Christ. Remember, it says body of Christ. So in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 4, it says, for just as each one of uh, has one body, just as we each one have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So the challenge when we read verses like this is, okay, well, how do, in the world do we function in this culture that we're in, I mean, we're, we're more like, I was thinking about this, if we're all different parts of the body, we're like body parts scattered all over the place more than anything else. And so how do we overcome this challenge and connect with one another while being in the midst of, a, of, of the pandemic? What happens is that God's grace flows through us and to us and to one another through connection. So this morning, I want to show you from Scripture that reality. And as we study, as we talk and we listen, I want to challenge you to be listening on two levels. One, listen to what I'm sharing. But secondly, listen on another wavelength. Be asking God, Father, in this world, in this challenge that we're facing right now, that we live in right now, how can I find creative and resourceful ways to connect with other people and function as your scripture describes the church uh, functioning. And the reason I'm challenging you in this way this morning is because the flow of God's grace to us and through us and to one another happens in the midst of community. So we have to find ways to keep the flow going or we'll dry up. So let's pray and we're going to dive into God's word. Father, this morning, I thank you for every individual that is here this morning. I thank you for every individual who's watching the live stream from home. And we ask, Father, that through the power of your word and the power of your spirit, that you would unite our hearts together with you and with one another. And that you would show us in this day that we live in how to press beyond the challenges of the day, how to function as the church, how to function as a follower of Christ and relate to one another, to share Lord, to to know one another and to be known by others so that we could be the healthy church that you desire for us to be. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts on several levels today, both in understanding and in application of how to walk this out. And we ask that, Lord, you would do this by a work of grace upon each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was recently having a conversation with a, a repairman who came out to work on my air conditioning and heating system, and we just kind of naturally got into a conversation about God, imagine that, and uh, just creation and philosophy and physics and just you know, all the different amazing things about how God created the universe and created us, the world that we live in, and how when you really look and study um, creation, when you study physics and science, you, you can begin to see God's fingerprints. All over the place, it is absolutely amazing the way God has designed and created. When, when I really begin to look at this and study this, it does something to ignite my imagination and to ignite my curiosity. When you think about it, both on a cellular level and on a cosmic level, God is amazing in what he has created. And while kind of sticking with the body comparison here, when you begin to think just about your body, David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm going to tell you something. He wasn't kidding. We literally are. Um, If you take the study of the brain, for example, the nervous system or the cardiovascular system, they're absolutely amazing. And when you look at the details of how they work together, you realize something They didn't just happen. This doesn't just happen. There is brilliance and genius behind the design of the human body. For example, your brain right now has over 10 billion neurons in it right up there, upstairs. Those are the cells that make up the brain, 10 billion. Each neuron of those 10 billion neurons has 10,000 little branches called dendrites that that go out from them. They're kind of like branches on a tree. So each of the 10 billion has 10,000 little branches that go out and those little branches connect with 10,000 other neurons. That's That's why it takes two Tylenol when you have a headache, you know, to cover all that territory. It's a lot of territory to cover. Your brain is an amazing storage of information. Um, If you were to measure it in bytes, it would be a 10 with 14 zeros behind it. That's how many bits of information are stored in your brain. And what's amazing is we're sitting here and listening right now. We're relating to one another, but unconsciously in the back, your brain is making tens of thousands of computations to keep your body going right now. Uh, Totally unaware of it, your brain is saying to your heart, beat. B. You don't have to do that. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice? You don't have to go like heart beat, heart, beat, heart, heartbeat, heartbeat, heartbeat. Oh yeah, breathe, breathe. Imagine if we were trying to, oh, blood flow, blood flow. Imagine if we were having to communicate all this stuff to our brain and uh, to our body and make it happen. We don't. God's wired that all of that is taking a place completely unconscious to us, even when we are asleep. And speaking of your heart, your heart will beat. 100,000 times today. And it will do that every day. 35 million times a year. 2.5 trillion times in the normal lifetime. It will pump 2,000 gallons of blood today. It's a lot. 60 million gallons of blood in your lifetime without a vacation, without a break, or we wouldn't even be here. Your body has 60,000 miles of blood vessels in it if you were to take them all out and string them together. 60,000. In other words, you could wrap around the earth two and a half times if you were to take all those blood vessels out and string them out. Your body is amazing, and God designed it. Our body is made up of systems. It, which are made up of organs, which are made up of tissues, which are made up of cells, which are made up of molecules, which consist of atoms that contain subatomic particles. And, and scientists have identified over 200 smaller things than the proton neut- ne- neutron and electron inside a cell, over 200 smaller things. And what baffles them is every time we think we've found the very possible smallest thing, We think this is the smallest thing possible. There's another smaller critter just around the corner looking and winking at them. And they come in and out of existence faster than they can even compute. It is amazing. God designed you in an amazing way. His fingerprints are all over you. But he also designed you spiritually in his image his fingerprints on you in that capacity too. You have and I have a spiritual capacity. That means that when we're functioning in a spiritually healthy way, it is allowing God's presence and his grace to flow in us, to us, and through us like a river. And that happens in the context of community. In Romans 12, we read this if you go back to verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. When Paul writes this appeal, For us to commit our body, our entire being to God, all in all, he says, do this in light of what? In light of God's mercy. Actually, in the Greek, it's not singular mercy, it's plural, mercies. When you think about it, how merciful has God been to you? Just once, twice, multiple times. God's mercies never seem to end, they never cease. We haven't gotten what we deserve Grace and mercy give us what we never earned, what God graciously gives to us. How gracious has he been to you? Paul's saying, in light of that, in light of that, a God who is worthy of worship, who is worthy of your whole life, offer yourself to him. Allow him to rewire and reprogram your brain the way you think and the way you relate and give yourself to him. That is an act of worship and that's very pleasing to him. And it's it's. It reveals his heart for us and for other people. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Have a realistic evaluation and, and be mindful of God's grace upon you and the faith that he stirred up in your heart. And you'll notice in these verses a reoccurring theme. You might even want to circle it. It's grace throughout this passage, grace. The Greek word for grace means unmerited and unearned favor. It is free, it is a gift from God, a gracious free gift of God. God gives because he's a gracious God. He's a generous God. He loves to give and when God gives, it gives him great joy. It is his nature to give and to give and to give. And as a result of that gift of grace, God keeps giving. And one of the things that he gives to each one of us and to the church are spiritual gifts. Abilities that are breathed by him, inspired by him, that he's able to activate and use to minister to one another so that we're blessed. Listen to verse 4 through 6. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, the many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, and this is the word charisma we'll look at in a minute, according to the grace, the charis, God has given to each one of us. We are not designed to function alone. We're members of a body. We're not designed to function alone any more than if we were to we could take a kidney out, pop a kidney out, just lay it on the table and say, here it, here it is. What's going to happen to that kidney? It's going to die. It lives and functions by being interconnected with the other organs and systems inside the human body. He's saying in such a way, we need one another. We function together. We... we uh, complement one another and keep each other healthy by being together. The Greek word for grace is charis, which means grace or kindness or blessing that is unearned, and it is by that grace, it's an empowering of God that he graciously gives. But the the Greek word for gifts, which is also used in this, this same verse for spiritual gifts, is charisma. You notice the similarity? coming from the same root word. This is a gift freely given. It's a gift of grace, an empowerment of grace. But they come from a root word, and, and the, the Greek root word and the, the root word is kara, And that's where those two, kera, katerisma, um, and keteris come from kera. And it's used 54 times in the Bible in the New Testament. And you know what it means? Joy joy. It is from joy that God gives his graces. It is from joy that God loves to give. God loves to give just like a parent loves to give gifts to their kids. I find it interesting that the word for grace is rooted in the word for joy and delight. God, our Father, loves to give, and he loves to give to us, and he loves to give through us, and that is what it means to function in a healthy way. So what happens in these verses in this next section is that Paul begins to list some of the gifts. Now, this isn't the only place where gifts are listed. We'll mention some others in a few moments. But, But there are seven gifts that are listed here. These are positions, okay? They're not necessarily jobs. What they are is things that God puts within us to motivate us and to empower us to serve one another, to move us, to speak out to move us to act in a way that benefits other people around us. And they are all, as we look at them, you'll see desperately needed in this hour that we live in today for us to function as a church, for us to be healthy as Christians, and for us to experience the joy that God has for us. So we're going to go through these. And as we do, I want you to, to listen on a couple levels. Number one, try to identify the gifts that you have the gift or the gift mix that you have, you, you'll, you'll listen to some of these and you go, you know what, I'm kind of like that. I tend to do that at times. This, this helps us learn as we listen and we begin to think about ourselves, but I also want you to think about others around you. I want you to think about other people around you, and as you listen to this, you may be able to say, you know what, when, when he talks about the characteristics of this gift, this is the person that I think about. They do that, and, and what's the effect upon your life when they do that? Well, I'm blessed. And so I want you to think about that, and if you're taking notes, you may want to just jot down their name and the gift that you see operating in them, and we'll come back talk about that in a moment. Okay, verse 6, the second part of verse 6 continues and begins to describe the gifts. If it is the gift of prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do so diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But I want you to notice something that I never really looked at carefully. If you go down and you continue, you kind of pivot into the next section, it begins to describe what these gifts look like when they're walked out, when they're practiced. And in these next few verses are kind of some encouragements and cautions that, that correlate to these seven gifts that have just been given. Listen to the description that Paul gives. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be hopeful in joy, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the the Lord's people uh, who are in need. Practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with the one who rejoices, and mourn with those who mourn. And I think that that's more than just uh, a, a rambling of, hey, here's some good, some feel good things. I believe they really tie in to the seven uh, gifts that he has just described. So let's do a flyover for a couple of moments and let's look quickly at these seven gifts. First one is prophesy. Uh, prophecy, he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Let it be a faith thing. Prophesying is declaring the truth of God with faith. It is, it is being the mouthpiece of God is saying, this is what the Lord is saying, and it is proclaiming what God is saying. And what, what prophesying does, it helps to align our hearts with God. Or if we have gone wayward, Uh, it helps realign our heart to God. It kind of brings us back, bring us back to what God is saying, bring us back to what God desires to do. Because the, the, the thing motivating the person who's prophesying is a desire, a passionate desire, to have our hearts surrender to God and have our hearts in tune with the heart of God. To know what God is saying to us because God loves us and His way is best. He has a preferable future for us. So prophesying is not always, you know, predicting the future. It is speaking God's heart into the present so that we can walk in the destiny that God has for us in the future. And one thing about the gift of prophecy, it will always be, if it's true prophecy, anchored in the Word of God. It will never contradict the Word of God. If you hear someone prophesying and you go, wait a minute, that's not in Scripture, throw it out. Throw it out in a heartbeat okay? It will align with the Word of God, never contradict it, and there will be an outcome that is good and godly as we respond to it. It'll point us toward God's Word and toward God's heart. And they may say it in terms like this, this is what I sense the Lord saying in this situation, or in in this specific uh, sin, or this specific challenge that you're facing. This is what I, I sense the Lord saying, or this is what the Lord says about that. At times, It can be jolting. If you've been around someone who exercises the the gift of prophecy, at times it can be jolting, but it's not flattening, it's not harmful, and it's not hurtful when it's practiced in the the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that the gift of prophecy brings strengthening... Encouragement and comfort. So that's one of the tests we run. Is it bringing strengthening? Is it bringing encouragement? And is it bringing comfort? He says, for the one who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. So you pivot down to verse 9, which I think really kind of addresses this. Uh, and it says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. Because prophets have a tendency to confront error or sin or waywardness, which we all need, right? We need that. If our lives begin to, to stray off, which they do at times, we need that prophetic voice that calls us back to God. But what he's, he's connecting here is that as you do that, it needs to be bathed in love. It needs to be out of sincere love. You hate what is evil, But you don't just focus on that, you focus on what is good and you point toward the preferable future that God has and it it edifies and it encourages. Second gift, so wait a minute, think a minute. Did it kind of flag something? You know, you go, you know what? Yeah, sometimes I've felt that passion, that desire kind of rising up within me to speak that because God wants us to be close to him. Or do you know someone uh, who has done that? Have you seen it exercised well? And let's be honest, have you seen it exercised poorly? And, and probably if we're honest, we have seen it well and we've seen it poorly. That's why God gives us instruction so we can do things well. Second one is service. If it is serving, he says, then serve. This is a wonderful practical gift. It means simply meeting the needs of other people in practical, tangible ways. It's a beautiful gift. It's humble. It doesn't go to be noticed. It just notices needs. And, and, and something rises up and the heart that says, I just want to meet that need. I want to take care of that. I want to address that. If I did this, it would help, you know, X, Y, B, be done. This, this, this task we're doing, it would help it or it would help this person. It's so much like Jesus. It really, really is. Verse 10 uh, seems to really pick up the heart of, of the servanthood. It says, be devoted to one another in love. And honor or prefer one another above yourself. And that's what this gift of service is doing. It's just the heart of a servant, preferring other people, putting them first, and desiring to help them, to help the situation. Both um, in Psalm 33 and in Romans 2, it tells us that the goodness of God or the kindnesses of God leads to Repentance. Because of that, people who practice the gift of service many times can soften, it softens the hearts of those they're serving and opens them up to the gospel. There's a whole uh, line of evangelism called servant evangelism that just looks for practical needs and meets those practical needs with no strings attached to demonstrate God's love. And it opens people's hearts to God. Third one is teaching. He said, if it's teaching, well, then teach, you know, get to it and teach there. The teacher desires to clarify, to explain truth, to transform lives. And and what's motivating them, they're thinking, you know what, if we could just understand this, if we could just see this and and understand what God is saying, then we will want to change. We'll we'll be motivated to want to change. If our minds can just grasp this, our hearts will follow. And a good teaching or a good teacher has the ability to take the complex matters and simplify them and make them understandable and applicable. I think about, uh, think about teachers, there's so many, but but the one that pops to my mind uh, is Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a teacher. She loves, teach. she loves to study, but she loves to teach, and she can't study without teaching. I, I remember hearing her say that when she first started getting into God's Word and studying, uh, she, would, she would come across some truth and her heart would explode. She couldn't sit still. She goes, I've got to share this with someone. And so she began to teach Bible studies out of that overflow of just, this is great, just, this, I see what God is saying, and I've got to share that with other people. Uh, verse 11 gives good advice to those who teach. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. If you're teaching, in other words, don't be dry don't be dull. Don't be just cranking out information. Be passionate. Be zealous about it. Be on fire about it. As one of my old preaching professors said, he goes, listen, guys, don't go down deep. Stay down long and come up dry. And we've I've all done that at different times. Preachers have. And we've all been on the receiving end of that. And it's not fun. Some teachers continue, preachers continue to teach and preach long after the listeners have stopped listening. And uh, that's just the reality. So that's why it's important to be passionate, zealous, really get down and get the fire going. And that's also why, if you are a teacher, it's important to share why we're studying this and what difference it can make and how to apply this to my life in a practical way. I I think about some people who do that well. Uh, Rick Warren pastors a very small little church over in Southern California, of about, what, 40,000 people, it's bigger than m- many cities in America, and uh, Rick, if you know anything about him, um, he, he is a genius, uh, he is brilliant, but if you've ever heard him teach, you realize he's very simple and practical, he has the ability to take complex matters and make them very simple and understandable, and apply in our life, how we can walk away and do something with it. And I've, I've heard him preach before and heard him talk about preaching before, and that's a very strong passion. So you'll hear him repeat the same thing over and over again. It's not because he's forgotten that he taught it a week ago or a month ago. It's because he knows we need to hear it many times in order to get it and to apply it to our life. Dallas Willard is another one. He's brilliant brilliant philosopher, and if you read his books, it, it could just blow your mind away. But the thing that he also does is take complex matters and state them in very simple ways that are profound. And sometimes I'll be, sometimes I have to read Dallas's books several times. But in the midst of reading the book, there'll be one statement that would just go, I'll go, whoa. And so if you look at the books that I read by Dallas Willard, they're covered with ink and pencil and circles and stuff like that. Because I, I struggle with it to understand things. But when he says something profound and simple and breaks it down for me, I circle it. I, wanna, I don't want to forget that. I contrast that with a lecture that I recently heard in the class I was attending. A guy was talking about the... It was a counseling class, and the guy was talking about the brain and how the brain works and how depression affects the brain and damages different parts. And he was describing the brain and all the different parts of the brain and went over my... Lost me in a heartbeat. I know this. I know he's smart, but I wasn't able to benefit from it. And so good teaching doesn't impress us with, wow, that guy's really smart. Good teaching impresses us with, I understand what God wants me to do with this. And that's how we measure that. We, we take that and we can put it into practice. Number four, encouragement. The Bible says, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. This is obviously the opposite of, fill in the blank, Discouragement which the world is full of. There is so much discouragement in the world right now. This person cheers you on, creates hope, inspires you to keep going. Don't give up. They, they let you know or remind you God loves you. He is for you. You're valuable to God. Don't you dare quit. You keep going. You can, you can do this through reliance upon the Holy Spirit, reliance upon God. We live in a world that is full of criticism, that is full of judging, that is full of accusation, of tearing other people down to feel better about themselves. The enemy of our soul is called also the accuser, and he comes and hurls accusations at every one of us. And then we also have another critic that's not really friendly, and it's ourself. And many times we engage in negative self-talk, we tear ourselves down, we, we go, you dummy, what did you do? And we're really not nice to ourselves. You would never treat your best friends the way that sometimes we treat ourself and with a negative self-talk or as one person called them ants, automatic negative thoughts. So the gift of building up, of being encouraged is essential today. And we all need that so desperately pointing out reasons for us to press on, to say, God is not done with you. It's not over. It can be better. Go for it. Paul, who we We spent a good bit of time studying recently in the book of Acts. We noticed he he had an encourager, Barnabas, who Paul would never have been Paul without Barnabas being there to encourage him on. So we all need those type of people around us. Verse 12 kind of gives some application. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So you're practicing the gift of encouragement. Be joyful in the hope that you give. Be patient with people. You know, we don't always get better overnight. God sometimes touches and heals instantly. I love those. And sometimes it's a process. And in the church, sometimes we get a little bit, I don't know what, just discouraged or tired when someone doesn't get well fast. And the church uh, has a poor history of people being littered along the road who came hurting and because they didn't get fixed quickly got discarded and they kind of give up. We need to be patient. And we need to be faithful in prayer. Be good prayer warriors. These people make good, good counselors. And we all need them around us. Lots of them. May their tribe increase. Number five is giving. If it's giving, it's the thing, give generously. Uh, this is a desire to give to meet tangible needs. Or to further the vision of God. The purposes of God. And uh, God bless them, because we have to have giving in the, in the givers in the church. And maybe it's literally giving money or some other tangible thing. Uh, my mother had this gift, and, and she gave to every mission organization you can imagine. When she passed away, every mission organization in North America was still looking for her. Uh, I still get mail. Uh, where is that woman? She supported us so generously. She also had closets full of extra stuff that she would buy to give away. Yeah, because she just found great joy in giving. And I wish that she had been able to give all that stuff away. So I, I got to do it <laughs> for her later. Um, so it could, be, it could be wise counsel. Uh, they seem to have a knack at something. People who have the gift of giving many times also have the knack of earning. (laughs) Kind of works that way. And I don't know if it's because God finds them so faithful in giving that he says, I'm gonna give you more. But they seem to be wise with the management of money and they're great motivationals. Uh, give great motivation to all of us. They're an example. So they will encourage us all. There's great joy in giving and they'll encourage us all to give in that. Verse 13 gives encouragement. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And here's, here's what came to my mind as I was looking at that verse. It's not just about writing a check and walking away. He's saying get involved. Be hospitable. Be relational. Be involved in people's life. Number six, Leadership listed in this this list of spiritual gifts is to he says if it is to lead then do so diligently leaders have the ability to see the big picture they walk in and they see the big picture of what's to be accomplished and and how it can be accomplished what elements and what resources are needed and and also how to delegate what kind of other people we're going to need to help support this vision and they will organize it and people with the gift of Of um, leadership and vision, love to organize. In fact, if you give them a chance, they'll organize your life for for you too. Uh, They just like to kind of get this thing going here. So, verse fourteen has some interesting advice, and I got it. It gave me pause at first. It said, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse." I thought, "Wait a minute, what's that about? What's going on here?" And then I remembered, leaders see the big picture and they delegate. They want to get things done, but sometimes leaders can be very task-driven, and they're so focused on getting things done and getting the task done that they focus on the task and not the people. I mean, it's kind of like, get this thing done. And again, uh, throughout church history, there have been very strong and gifted leaders that have literally just run over people trying to get things done or burn them out. And so I got to thinking about it. You know, because of that, they're kind of like the boss in a way, you know. Uh, They're giving direction. And when you've got someone giving direction, not everybody wants to do it that way. And not everybody sees it the same way. And not everybody's going to want to follow. And sometimes they'll give you a little bit of flack. And so he says to the leaders here, bless people, love people be patient with them, lead them, don't use them. And I think that that, in my opinion, is that what he's talking about by blessing. Number seven, mercy, the final one. If it is to show mercy, do so cheerfully. People with the gift of mercy are, are so precious because they have the ability within their heart to empathize with others who are hurting and have great compassion upon them. God is a God of mercy. He is a God of mercies, as we saw just a moment ago. And so I find that the people who are exercising this gift are very close to the heart of God, and they see people beyond the surface. They see the heart. They see what's going on there, and they hurt with those people. They want you to know you're not alone. I'll be here with you. I may not know what to say, but I'll be here with you. And in For those who practice the gift of mercy, you're kind of like caregivers in the medical field. You have to also be sure you're taking care of yourself. You have to take care of self-care so that you do it joyfully and not under the burden and get burdened down. So verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who mourn and... Or who rejoice, excuse me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The mercy giver really reflects the heart of God, full of mercy and they want us to know this. God sees. God sees you. And God rejoices with you when you rejoice. And when you mourn, God mourns with you. He doesn't just push you aside and say, "Hey, when you get act together, come back." No, he sits down with us and he mourns over the things that break our heart and the brokenness that we experience, and he doesn't leave us, no matter what. This gift reminds us we're not alone. That God is with us. The people who have this are living examples of that. And they point us to God and point us to the heart of God. So, just for the record, then, how do we discover what spiritual gifts are operating in our life or our gift mix? Uh, How how do we understand what God is wanting to do through us? Well, let me just throw out a couple of suggestions. One is uh, discovery through study, like what we're doing this morning. To study the Word of God, to listen to teachings, um, to to examine the Word, in fact, to compare the Scriptures. You may want to jot this down, but you'll find spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12, and, and these are motivational types. And Ephesians 4 talks about some ministry positions, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. There are a lot of supernatural manifestational gifts. They're all supernatural, but these are manifestational. And if you have any questions about those gifts, you can talk to Chris, okay? And he can, he can, he can explain them all to you because some of those are tough and challenging. But they're all gifts for edifying and encouraging and building up. And we believe the gifts are active today. The uh, second thing you can do is there are several spiritual gift inventories um, some of them are available online. In fact, I'll try to locate a couple of them and put them in the church email that goes out this week. And I know we missed a couple of weeks, but we will have one out this week. And I'll try to put some links in there to a couple of the free ones. Um, third way is that others around you will recognize them and call them out. We need to build a culture where we do this, where we acknowledge when spiritual gifts are operating in people and we bring light to it. We share it with one another. You know, I really see the Lord use you in this way. You know, I I see the Lord operating in your life in these ways. And when you do this, I'm graced, I'm blessed, I'm gifted because you are exercising a spiritual gift because you use that gift. And it's humbling to hear that but it should make us grateful that God is operating in our life, not to elevate us, but to elevate him and to be fruitful in, in uh, the grace that God gives us and the grace that he's giving to other people. And I, I thought about this. What a wonderful thing to say to other people, to be a person who is looking for the operation of spiritual gifts. And when you see them to speak, in speaking encouragement... Uh, into their life, saying, hey, I see this. And it helps that person recognize, well, maybe God is using me. Because many times when we're just simply obedient to the Lord, we don't realize that he is, it's making an impact. And sometimes we just conclude, oh, God doesn't do anything in my life or through my life, and he does, he does. So let's put light on the good things that God is doing and honor, honor those things. Um, fourth way is just to step out in faith. If we feel that God is stirring our heart, urging us to do something, then R-I-S-K, take the risk, step out, do it. John Wimber, who's one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, said we have to take risk. And he uses this phrase, we have to give expression to the impressions that we have. Give expression to the impressions. So we do them. We exercise them. and, And in the midst of that, we see what works, and we see what doesn't work. And that's okay because that's part of the learning process. It's one of the beautiful things about small groups is that we're able to to exercise spiritual gifts and try them out in a less threatening way when we make mistakes. And we will. We will. We'll try to operate in a gift that's not ours. And when we do that, if we try to operate in a gift that is not ours, it it will bring to frustration and fruitlessness. And, And that's okay because that helps us really hone in on what God is doing. But one of the things that will happen when we are using the gifts that God has given us, it produces joy. It produces joy because grace is at work in your life. And remember grace, grace and uh, spiritual gift, what Wimber used to call gracelets. The root word is what? Joy. It produces joy in us. It produces joy in God. And it produces joy in the hearts of the people that we're ministering to. And then just give it time and practice. Be submitted to the Lord. Be obedient to to the Lord. We may not even know what we're doing, that we're exercising the spiritual gift. We're just trying to obey God, but it will be God working through us. Um, Which brings me to uh, uh, our closing time and a question, a very important question that I want to pose to you. I want you to wrestle with. How do you do this in a COVID season? How do we do this? I thought about it a good bit, and I, I could rattle off, you know, just my brainstorming things, but I think it's better for us to brainstorm and to wrestle with this ourselves. But I can assure you of one thing, God is not in a panic. Amen. Uh, I can guarantee you God did not fold his hands and say, oh, well, the church was going so well, but COVID came along, and if COVID had not come along, well, I could have built my church. That is not what God is saying. In fact, Jesus said this, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." Let's just the gates of Covid will not prevail against it or anything else. He is in charge. And Jesus talking about the Father said, "My Father is always working. He's always at work." So God is working now. Our challenge is to wrestle and to find creative ways to do it to find ways to break out of isolation, unique ways that will work for us, even from home, if that's those who are viewing from home. You know, you're not excluded just because you're at home. The Holy Spirit is still there. God is still working in your life. God still wants to work through your life. It may be by picking up the phone and calling people from the last scientific reports I've heard. The virus can't pass through the phone. But I've not checked the mail today. You know, I've not, who knows? Who knows? but it can't. There are ways, creative ways. Listen, we serve the God who created everything and he lives within us. He made us in his image and he who is creative desires to be creative through us and in us in amazing ways. I think that this could be the church's finest hour, that that we once again see in history that the church is going to prevail that the gates of hell will not shut it down, will not stop it, but it is going to continue to press on. What happens if we fold our hands and quit is that we lose our joy. We lose our fruitfulness. We, we lose the joy of having the grace of God operate in us and through us and partnering with God, sharing that joy. We shortchange ourselves from being able to receive the gifts of other people. We shortchange ourselves by not expressing the gifts that God has given us and giving of ourselves to one another. And we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. There is a river of the grace of God. I think we used to sing a song, you know, about there being a river. There is a river of the grace of God and God's grace is extended to you and it is unearned in his precious and it is, it is unmerited, and it flows freely to you. God loves you. He gives you the grace, the gift of forgiveness. He, he gives us the gift of being able to be his children. But he also graces us with spiritual gifts for other people, and we will experience joy as we engage in those spiritual gifts and ministering to each other. So let me pray for us, and we're going to take a, a moment to uh, walk through the communion elements this morning, I invite you to... Uh, ducky gonna come up and yeah duck will come up and lead us in a song and wow